Good evening. Please open your New Testament. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This will be a follow-up after the sermon this morning. I want you to be aware of a common mistake that I make. On the slides, for example, this morning, I had the font way too small. And I make that mistake, and I need to do better about that. And so I printed out a copy of this part of the slide set this morning, and those are at the back. One of the great things about my job is I work with very forgiving people. So I repent, now you have to forgive me. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, in just a moment. The New Testament book of Hebrews offers so much rich instruction to inform our faith, to revitalize our motives, to cause us to pray with greater power, and to lead us on the continued journey of obedience to Christ, discipleship, and growth. So let's revolve. We will Let's resolve that we will never neglect this book in our reading and our study. Beyond that, take the time to ponder individual passages in Hebrews. Become acquainted with the context of Hebrews and undertake a good study of that book and it will do you good. When pursued with uh, good perseverance, the rewards will take you back again and again to Hebrews. Like many New Testament epistles, this one was prompted by the situation of a problem confronted by the readers. In one word, that problem was temptation. Try to put your mind back in the circumstance of those people the writer is addressing. So imagine that you have obeyed the gospel. But before obeying the gospel, all your life you lived as a loyal participant in the Jewish religion. The scribes and Pharisees were your fathers in the faith. They were your teachers. They led you and pushed you into the highly institutionalized Jewish system of religion that claimed to be according to Moses' law, but was really based on human interpretation and creed. So you were a part of all that. You were a follower in all of that Jewish religion. But something happened. You heard the gospel. Accepting the evidence and embracing the offer of grace, you were baptized for the remission of your sins as you repented of those sins and you were then a part of the family of God in Christ. And for a time things go along well. You're part of a joyous fellowship of disciples and you're resisting those old ways of Judaism. You're now following Christ. Everything seems to be going well. But you still see that old religion. And your friends who remained unbelievers beckon you and tempt you and argue with you to come back to the old religion of Judaism. And sometimes they put it this way. 
you should come back to Moses. Not believing or appreciating Moses had his place in the scheme of redemption, but Christ is now preeminent. He's the forefront of everything in your relationship with God, the Savior, superior to any and all former leaders. Notwithstanding that coherent fact of the gospel, the appeals and the invitations, maybe the criticism or the persecution comes back to you all the time. Come on back to Moses. That's the problem addressed in the book of Hebrews. The Holy Spirit, of course, is behind this, inspiring the writer to admonish and warn those who were tempted to leave Christ to return to their former religion. And about that appeal, come back to Moses. I want you to listen to this in Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house, has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So let's study this. And let me begin by showing us that everything prior to Hebrews 3 exalts Jesus Christ above all. I'm going to give you a quick summary of what comes prior to Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, God has spoken by his Son. And his Son is exalted far above angels in verses 3 through 14. In Hebrews 2 verses 1 through 4, we should give the more earnest heed to the gospel of Christ. In Hebrews 2, 5 to 8, deity became flesh but was exalted and crowned with glory and honor. In chapter 2, 9 through 13, the incarnation of Christ took place so that by the grace of God he might taste of death for everyone to bring many sons to glory. And then in Hebrews 2, 14 to 18, Christ frees his people from the lifelong fear of death and he's willing to come to our aid and help us. That's all before you get to Hebrews 3. I've provided these summaries, but if you have read the first two chapters of Hebrews, you already know everything prior to chapter 3 exalts Jesus Christ above all. He's above the patriarchs. 
He's above the prophets. He's above the angels. He's above the old priesthood. He's above the law of Moses. And here he is above Moses. Jesus Christ is heir of all things. He's the upholder of all things. The begotten son, the author of salvation, the one and only sanctifier as Christians. This is what we believe. This is at the core of who we are, the exalted Savior Jesus Christ. Now, the argument developed in the first part of Hebrews 3 is that he is better than Moses. And some of the people who were still attached to Moses and the law or the institution of religious Judaism would recoil at this statement. But this is the argument of Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I want to quickly point out, nothing is taken from Moses in making this affirmation in Hebrews 3. No criticism. Moses had his place. No criticism offered in this particular context. Jesus holds a higher place. That's the point. We need to understand that. It ought to be one dimension of the totality of our faith in Christ. He stands above all. He's better than Moses. I want us to see that in Hebrews chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the author and high priest of our confession. Just in verse 1, it is noteworthy how the writer addresses Christians and then how he addresses Christ. Let's take a moment and look at that. Christians are holy brothers, holy brethren, and that expression conveys two things. One, being in the family of God related to Jesus Christ. And two, being separated from sin by our attachment to the sacrifice of Christ. Christians are partakers of the heavenly calling. A call came from heaven through the gospel. We were invited to participate, to partake of heavenly things. We were called in baptism. We accepted that call. So spoken of collectively, we are partakers of a heavenly calling. Let me stop here and observe vital to your life and my life and our growth as Christians. We must be clear about who we are. These descriptions in the New Testament, these descriptions enable us to know and see who we are in relation to God because of our response to Christ. When we know and remember how we are described in the New Testament, we are encouraged, motivated, comforted, and grateful. If you've been immersed into Christ as an expression of genuine faith, you are a holy brother or sister and partaker of a heavenly calling as you live out that calling in your manner of life. Now, that's how we are described. Let's see how Jesus is described. 
What we are is made possible by his sacrifice. Notice though how he is described here. He is described as the apostle. Now necessary to put a fine point on that. He's not described as one of the apostles. He is the apostle. He's not one among many. He's the apostle. And the word apostle simply means sent. And God sent Christ. He didn't just appear and do his work without divine commission. He was sent by God, empowered by God, pleasing to God. And he was sent so that we might be able to be holy brothers and sisters and partakers of the heavenly calling. Jesus, because of the vastness and perfection of his divine work, can also be described as the high priest of our confession. Without exception, when we see that word priest, we begin to think of access. Priest, under the former system of Levi, under the law of Moses, afforded the people access to God. Jesus, because of his singular, sufficient, once-for-all sacrifice, provides us with access to God. Those who come to God through him have access to God and the blessings his grace offers. So, look at Hebrews 3 and verse 1. There's an entire sermon there. Look at it this way. Who we are. Holy brethren, holy brothers and sisters, partakers of the heavenly calling, sharers, and who he is, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Now, what does the verse call upon us to do? Observe this word, consider. Observe that word in the middle of verse 1, consider. If you have the NIV, the word is fix your thoughts. Other translations, attentively consider. Give thought to Jesus Christ. Think carefully now on him. And the word consider here is not the idea of giving passing thought to someone or something. No, the Greek word carries greater intensity and time, not just a passing thought. The idea is give careful attention to him once and for all. Fix your thoughts on him and keep those thoughts there. You are who you are because of him. He is central to your faith and hope. The one who sanctified you. So we could not be considered holy brothers and sisters without him. So fix your thoughts on him now and going forward. In the conduct of our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, there ought to be awareness of him. That is built into us in our faith, our appreciation, our love, our discipleship. We are not who we are because of Aaron, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, or Paul. We are Christians, 
followers of Christ. While there was a role for Aaron and a place for Moses and the prophets and the others, Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Fix your thoughts on him, not once, but now and forever. I see this verse as clear, useful, urgent, and worthy of grateful consideration the rest of my life, the rest of your life, and for those who were recipients of this letter. I hope each of us are united in this consideration of him who is greater than Moses. Now verse 2. The inspired writer introduces another person into this, but with an affirmation of inferiority. Jesus, an affirmation of superiority. Now this person is introduced with an affirmation of inferiority. No criticism here, no dismissal of value, but Moses is introduced as one inferior to Jesus Christ. Verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. It is said of Jesus, he was faithful to him who appointed him. Well, we already know that. The apostle of God was faithful to God. The high priest of God was faithful to God. Jesus acted perfectly and in every way faithfully in keeping with what God appointed him to do and who he was. Now Moses was faithful in all his house. Given the context and history of Hebrews, you can almost hear those who were hindered by Jewish loyalty saying, well, what about Moses? All this about Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ, they would say to their previous Jewish companions, what about Moses? Perhaps they recalled the words of Numbers 12 where God said, my servant Moses is faithful in all my house. Jesus was faithful to God who appointed him. Moses was faithful to God in all his house. Then the question might come up, so what was the difference? And the answer is in verse 3. The answer is in verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. About this, there just cannot be any doubt or hesitation. Jesus is counted worthy of more glory than Moses. The, this exaltation of Christ removes nothing legitimate from that leader, Moses. And today we ought to read about Moses. We ought to read what Moses wrote. We ought to read that history of Moses and the Israelites. But Hebrews helps us put all that in present perspective for us. Christ stands above Moses, and that's our confession, without detracting anything from the role that God gave to that lawgiver. Now the next part of this makes the case. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Now there is in this 
a very commonly accepted premise that we would all immediately acknowledge, and that's this. The builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself has. Can you imagine building a house? And when you take your occupants in that house, you say to the house, thank you. No, that, that wouldn't ring true. It's the builder of the house who deserves the honor for the construction work that he did. You express praise not to the physical structure, but to the one who made that physical structure. The builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. So the analogy of the author is Jesus is the builder of God's house. Moses was just a servant, a part of that house. Now, keep in mind that by making this comparison, the author does not minimize the role that God gave to Moses. The faithfulness of Moses in this passage is not questioned. The value of his work is not denied. His place in biblical history is retained and to some degree celebrated. But the seat of greatest honor belongs to Jesus Christ who sits now at the right hand of God. And this exaltation of Christ is echoed throughout the New Testament. In Ephesians 1, he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In Philippians 2, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everywhere in the New Testament, Jesus is exalted above all. So that brings us now to verses 4 through 6, and it all fits. For every house is built by someone... But the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope. You know what I think is happening here? Jesus is being identified in his full deity. He is God, the builder of everything. The point that we made this morning. Similar to John chapter 1, where Jesus is called God. He is so identified here. He's the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house. And one example is given. Look at the example. Moses was faithful in the testimony he gave, the prophecy he issued about Christ. And then the writer says, we are his house. If we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. See, those people were being tempted to give up and go back to Moses. The writer says, we are his house. If we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So that's Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. It all fits together. I've just got three quick takeaways. 
Three things. We must be people who give to Jesus Christ the high place God has given him. He is not one among many. He is not just another Bible character having equality with Abraham and Moses and David. He was before Abraham. He built the house Moses was a servant in. David spoke of his resurrection and one exalted to his throne. David said, he is my Lord. The Hebrew epistle begins by showing Christ's place as deity, as creator, far above angels, now worthy of more glory than Moses. Another passage that exalts him is in Colossians 1, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You realize this cannot be said of any other. Not of Moses. Can we say he is the head of the church? No. We cannot claim David to be firstborn from the dead. It pleased the Father that in all things the fullness should dwell in Christ. As a Christian, I must give to Christ the high place God gave him. Exalted, worthy of praise, the King of kings the worthy lamb. Some of the issues that we may grapple with in life can find their resolution when we keep Christ in his place. If I have a good, clear concept and picture of who Christ is and what he said, where he is, what he promised, why he died, his resurrection, all of that, if that's clear to me, when I come to issues in my life and struggles that at first may seem to be complex and mysterious and elusive, my mind can be cleared when I wash my mind out with who he was and what he did and what he said, where he is and what he promised. Remember on that Mount of Transfiguration, God said, not about Moses or Elijah, but about Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Here's one way we can study this. Abraham was the great patriarch, the father of the Jewish nation. Moses led that nation out of Egypt and gave them the law. Joshua, Darrell mentioned earlier, got them into the promised land. David was one of their kings. John the Baptist prepared the way, but Jesus is the Savior. All that those men did was pointing in the direction of the Savior, the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth, who is worthy of more glory than Moses. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house, has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. 
Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope. So the question is, are we listening to Jesus Christ? Are we holding fast the confession of our faith in him? Are we living in response to his teaching now and with commitment to the future? And if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, you can come while we stand to sing.